Good morning. My name is Matt Blazer. I'm a pastor here at Covenant Presbyterian Church. And we are finishing our sermon series in the book of Hebrews. I think perhaps the most eloquent book in the New Testament, perhaps the whole Bible, front to back. And yet the point of it is relatively simple. Perhaps, you, perhaps you'll catch it in verses 15 and 16. Chapter 13 is an interesting um, roller coaster. There are about 21 commands, yet they all fall under the heading of let brotherly love continue. The writer reminds of the purpose, then gives this beautiful benediction, and then sends personal greetings as well. So hang on as I read all of chapter 13 of the book of Hebrews. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city. We seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience Desiring to act honorably in all things, I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. So we get to follow. That's how uh, Christians were identified in the first century, followers of the way. The word Christian was 
given then, but uh, wasn't a positive term. And for some reason, as I looked at this text, I kept thinking of, of teachers and coaches that I had in junior high and in high school. And if you played sports, I don't know if you liked your coaches. And I remember so many people stopping playing sports because they didn't like their coach. And for me, that was easy. I liked basketball way too much to not play because of a coach. Um, I remember one coach my freshman year, I was the only, we had six guys on the team. And uh, I was on the bench, six man on the team of six. And coach comes over and he says, Matt, I'm glad you're here on the bench with me. And to this day, I don't know if he meant he's glad I was on the team or he's glad I was not on the floor. But I loved basketball. And so I kept at it. And I would hear people groan about it and quit over coaches. And here's why I bring that up. I think Hebrews 13 is a lot more like what we expect to get from Scripture than a lot of the other chapters of the Bible. Uh, I think we open the Bible expecting to be told what to do and and find instead a glorious amount of story and theology. And yet if we go to Hebrews 13 and we see the number of commands in it, 21 by my count, a big part of the degree to which we're going to pay attention to those Actually, all of how much we're going to pay attention to those is based upon our esteem of Jesus. Do we believe what the writer of Hebrews says about him? In verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In Revelation, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. When Jesus ascends into heaven in Acts chapter 1, He says he's going to return, and that we are to custodian his mission until he comes back. One of the most offensive things that Jesus said in his earthly life was, before Abraham was, I am. Psalm 2 gives us a fascinating perspective on Jesus' perspective as the nations rage. And Psalm 2 is actually about him. Here's why I say this. If the story begins and ends with Jesus... If all of the um, if all of the commands and moves of obedience listed in, in chapter thirteen exist because of who he is, then every move of following him or move of obedience is actually a move of worship. Verse fifteen and sixteen. It's a move of joy. Verse seventeen. It's a move of deep appreciation and love. Verses twenty and twenty one. And that doesn't mean we don't pay attention. Uh, the, the, the writer talks about immorality and the destructive effects of it. Um, he, he, this writer is talking especially about in marriage. Jesus and the Apostle Paul spoke about it uh, equally to single people and to married people. This is Paul, you know, Paul in 1 Corinthians describes our body as a temple. And we know, we know that the destructive effects of certain kinds of sin are worse than others. That, that, that troubles us theologically, and yet here's the writer zeroing in on immorality twice in the context of community. He zeroes in on greed, talking about sharing what we have multiple times. He zeroes in on submission as a beautiful part of community that we get to submit to one another and especially to our leaders. So if you go through Hebrews 13... I think there are about 21 commands, right? 
Let brotherly love continue. Show hospitality to strangers. Remember those who are in prison. Let marriage be held in honor. And let the marriage be undefiled before God. Keep your life free from love of money. Be content with what you have. Remember your leaders. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Moving now to verse 15. Offer up a sacrifice of praise. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Let them do this with joy. So this is just to leaders and not with groaning. Pray for us, meaning the leaders of the church. I urge you the more earnestly to do this. And then moving to verse 22. Bear with my word of exhortation. Greet all of your leaders. So there are all these ways of following And they are all under this heading. Let brotherly love continue. The beginning of the passage connects verse 28 from chapter 12 with the whole rest of 13 as a a coda, if you will, as a, a final exhortation to the people that would read this letter that they might be encouraged. All of the things described are parts of the local church. We follow, but it's because of hope. Verse 13 through 16 describes our getting to follow Christ. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. So outside the camp is a reference to the physical crucifixion that took place in Golgotha, away from the city. And he's using that both as a literal example and as a metaphor. We also go outside the camp, for we have no lasting city, but seek the city that is to come. And every time a writer in the New Testament talks about uh, eschatology, so in this case, the New Jerusalem, the new heavens and new earth, the writer fully expects that to fill us with encouragement and hope. It's not escapism. And it's not, it's something that should lead a Christ follower to seek the good of the place that they're in, but give it no ultimate allegiance And when I say hope, I say this a lot, but it's because it comes up a lot in the scriptures. Hope in the scriptures is not anticipation that's uh, vague or unsure. It's a confidence that receives ever-increasing surety from the Holy Spirit. So we're confident that Jesus is who he says he is. We're confident that following him is the only way of real life available to us. There it is again in chapter 13, after calling us exiles and strangers numerous times and then talking about our allegiance in chapter 12, the writer says, one more time, we have no abiding city. If you're a follower of Christ, you seek the good of the city that you're in, but you have no allegiance to them compared to your allegiance for Christ and the alternative community that the church is called to be. One of my... (laughs) One of my favorite examples of this was the, um, both the Democrat and the Republican national conventions this year. The people that prayed at the beginning of those conventions challenged their parties on the Christian morals that their party ignores. And everybody understood what was happening because politics is so imperfect and partial. When the writer says we have no abiding city, he's reminding us for the 20th time that our only true allegiance is to Christ. And even to this, and, and by extension to this, and by this I mean the church, as an alternative community, the one we see around us.
And this hope leads us to sing the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. This hope leads us to be generous with what we have and what we're given. It's brought up a couple of times here as, as both a resistance to temptation, but more so an overflow of the hope we have because of the work Christ did, therefore generous with what we have, which is a way of resisting the idolatry of stuff, receiving the contentment of the gospel that it brings. Be content with what you have. This is very similar to, the, to Philippians chapter 4, where Paul talks about learning the secret of contentment. The gospel produces that, and what we get to do is follow. So we follow by being generous. We follow by rejecting and resisting immorality, whether we're single or married. We follow by continuing to show up and sing and allow ourselves to be gripped by the fact that your songs and your prayers and your generosity and your submission to authority are all pleasing to the Lord. And that doesn't have to do with salvation. That has to do with you becoming your full self as a worshiper of him, one who cares for neighbor, and then becomes your full self in light of the gospel of Jesus. We follow because of hope alongside imperfect leaders. Imitate your leaders. This is when preaching is just real challenging. Yeah, I said it. I said one of my least favorite words. Preaching is very challenging because I'm forced to reckon with the teachings of the New Testament. And about as humbling as it gets to me are the texts about leaders. You're supposed to imitate us, especially those that are called to be elders here. I'm a teaching elder. We also have ruling elders. And that's incredibly humbling. Uh, I've been in working for churches for um, about 20 years. Um, can't do the math in my head. Right around 20 years. And about every year, I realize how much more important than I previously thought is humility. The writer of Hebrews brings this up three or four times in chapter 13 because there's some kind of problem, either with the, the history of the leaders in the um, eyes of the of the churches that he's writing to. I think some of them have probably passed away, and maybe they left a checkered history. And yet it's a big agenda for him that they reconcile both with the writer and with their other leaders. What does imitate mean? Does it mean you need to uh, be into fancy pens? Does it mean you need to like coffee more than tea? Cheez-Its? Develop a deep and very distracting appreciation for awkwardness? that I, like I have. No. Hopefully, what imitate your leaders means is that your leaders are humble and are willing to have honest conversations with people, which means both encouraging them and discouraging them, encouraging them towards lives of life, discouraging them from temptation and sin. Hopefully, we model forgiveness not desiring to punish people when they harm us, desire their good. Hopefully, we model generosity and humble prayer and a life submitted to the scriptures. I was playing disc golf with some men a few weeks ago, and uh, 
A younger man quoted Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 to me. And I had just preached on it, and yet I don't have verse 3 memorized, but I have 1 and 2 memorized. And I was moved by that. And I know that that's because his uh, parents continue to humbly love him and move him towards the scriptures. And we are not supposed to do this with groaning, we being leaders. Urban Dictionary says groaning is a sound people make when they're too busy or too lazy to say real words. <laughs> and I literally did this yesterday. I was talking with a leader and I groaned. And man, that's convicting. And it doesn't say don't be frustrated, and it doesn't say don't be disappointed, and it doesn't say don't be angry. I think the writer is assuming that we're going to have those feelings, and we're going to have those thoughts, and we're going to have those legitimate problems with people, and we're supposed to do something productive about it. Because we are to lead with joy. In my experience, it doesn't always feel like joy uh, to lead a church. But it actually is. Uh, last year, uh, about a year and a half ago, um, I took a five-week sabbatical that our elders supported and encouraged. And when I was describing it to the congregation, I started weeping. Because it is actually a joy to be one of your leaders. Though it doesn't always feel like a joy. And I want to give you a moment, and I know some people are watching who are not uh, members of the barn or checking us out from a distance. I want to give you a moment to pray for a leader in the church, and not, not me. Uh, and the reason I say that is a lot of you pray for me often, and I deeply appreciate it. We have other leaders also. Um, but if you're worshiping with us, but this is not your home church, I would encourage you to pray for a leader of your home church, even if you were not going back anytime soon. I'm just going to give you a moment, because there it is. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Pray for us. Verse 18, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Notice that the writer expects the prayers to matter circumstantially in their life. But I'm going to give you a moment um, to pray for leaders either in this church or in your home church. Lord, hear our prayers. We follow because of hope, which is a sure confidence, that alongside imperfect leaders and always looking to Jesus. Again, I want to say that Hebrews is, I believe, as eloquent of a book of the Bible as I know of. And yet, what's the point of it? Verse 15 and 16 synthesize the point of the book of Hebrews. And that doesn't mean the rest of the, like all the theology and the growing invitation to maturity uh, don't matter. But the point, the reason the Holy Spirit inspired this writer to write this is summarized here in verse 15 and 16. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. That's financial, but it's also time and gift set and song and prayer. 
the writer of Hebrews wants you to know that your worship matters. Your corporate worship and your individual worship, your acts of fidelity and allegiance to Jesus are beautiful and powerful in the kingdom that exists, but we do not yet see. Back to chapter 12, verse 28. The, the, the writer goes to great lengths to describe Jesus as incomparably supreme to religious activity, to any other leader that came before him in the Jewish faith. And the reason that he brings that up is, be, is to encourage them to continue to corporate worship. The reason that he brings it up is to continue to encourage them to endure suffering. I wonder if the most consistent kind of suffering Christians experience around the world is the suffering associated with forgiveness. If we are actually going to let brotherly love continue, seek the good of the other and not punish them when they harm us, I wonder if the most consistent kind of suffering we experience is, is that of forgiveness. Because when you forgive someone, it does hurt. You have to absorb the pain of what they did to you instead of pay them back. Now, the alternative is horrible, but the encouragement here is to continue to worship, continue to do imperfect community with these people because of Jesus, because of the work he did to reconcile us to God free us back into relationships so that all aspects of worship are now available to us. He's re the, the writer in this particular chapter is referencing um, more regular Levitical cultic practice than, than yearly sacrifices. These are the regular sacrifices, and the writer is comparing them so that we understand that sacrifice is over. Now, when we worship, that has the effect of, of pleasing God. So persevere. Enjoy worship and let brotherly love continue. I was talking with a friend recently, uh, Jen Y, and the friend said, I just don't want to get up in the mornings to go to church. And, and the, the friend was saying this because they still believe and do, they want to, want to attend worship. Friends, if we read Hebrews 13, we're not accomplishing something for God. We're showing up and worshiping and thereby doing the most fundamental thing humans do, frankly, which is worship. This actually empowers us to love of neighbor and into our role in the world, and we become our full selves. Worship expands and makes vibrant life. It isn't a cultic activity that we do to check a box. And that's profoundly different, I think, than we think that it is. I love this benediction from the book. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which, that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Ultimately, this incredibly eloquent book is about continuing to show up to church and worship, because God exists and is good, 
to let brotherly love continue to continue to enjoy and learn and do spiritual community because there is no one compared with Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord, we ask that you inspire our imaginations and our faith that the beauty of the kingdom that is fully available to us but not yet visible would be one that we seek at all times for your glory and the good of neighbor and that we might mature in faith and life. We praise and thank you, Lord, for the way that you led this writer to encourage the church and ask that we would be encouraged that while we have no lasting city, we have you who will never leave us or forsake us. Amen.